to another awesome episode of the Course of Action Podcast. My guest today is former Marine Chris Whittemore. Chris, how are you doing? Doing good, sir. How are you? I'm good. Hey, thanks so much for uh, reaching out and jumping on here with me. And, uh, we were kind of discussing offline. This is a last-minute type of thing. and <laughs> You caught, you caught my, my last day of availability before I cut it all off so I could edit and get all these episodes done. So I'm glad we could sneak it in and we can get you in on the schedule for January release. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. Start off, start the new year off with a bang. That's yeah, perfect. Absolutely. So let's uh, let's talk about you a little bit. Uh, former Marine, okay. um, Afghanistan, Iraq, um, but you were a scout sniper first, right? Yeah. Um, did um, we, weird the way it all worked out um, before rejoining. Actually, I, I did a little uh, early stint from uh, ninety five to ninety nine, which not anyone who was in the military back then or had family, friends, yada, yada, yada. Not a whole lot was going on uh, during that time. A lot of deployments to, you know, Okinawa, Japan, Mount Fuji, Thailand. Yeah, you know, all that fun stuff. Uh, so I got out, um, uh, moved in with my wife down here in um, Houston, Texas, became a Texas State Trooper in 2003 uh, to about 2004, uh, basically right after the initial, uh, the, I don't want to call it a three week push, but that, you know, that push that went on. Um, and I, you know, I was watching the battles on TV, you know, just like everyone else. And I was like, Oh, you know, I've got a lot of friends that are still in. Um, so about a year into law enforcement work, I was like, uh, no, this is not for me. Um, I belong back in the military. So I made the, I don't want to call it a critical mistake, but I made the, the recruiters dream and went in and told them, I don't care what my job is. Where I'm stationed, I just want back in. I'm putting the uniform back on. <laughs> I, I'm putting it on, and I don't care where you send me. And he was, yay, you know. Yeah, so that's, that's the most beautiful words a recruiter could ever hear. Is I'm coming <laughs> back, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I'm back, and you don't have to do anything. And he even had me do the paperwork on the computer um, to get ready for MEPS and everything. He was just like, hey, you know, this isn't your first rodeo. You know what's up. Mm -hmm. Get to it. Um, so. The time came back in, uh, orders, infantry, 29 Palms, California, um, had no idea where that was. Um, I was like, where is that? And he's like, here's a map. He's like, great, there. Uh, in the middle of nowhere, about 45 minutes north into the desert from uh, Palm Springs, so up in the hills. Um, the Army was nice enough to say, you know what? This place is so horrible, it's uninhabitable. The Marines are like, perfect, we'll set up a base there. Um, so the Marine, the Army didn't want it, but the Marines are like, hey, why not? Um, and now it's, you know, it, it's growing just like anywhere else. It's a huge training opportunity for um, anyone getting ready to go to Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, you know, got there and, you know, a lot of um, younger guys. Uh, I was 25, 26 uh, coming back in, and these guys were, you know, 18, 19. Uh, 20 just returning back from their first deployment and I said well if I'm going to do it I'm going to do it do it right and just so happened the unit um, there was you know always that transition there's just like in any job uh, next man up kind of thing and they had a um, an indoc for the uh, scout sniper platoon so I was like well you know what watched all the cool like Tom Berger movies that are completely unrealistic um, watched all that fun, read the Carlos Hathcock books, you know, all that good stuff. And I was like, you know what? I was like, 
this is going to be awesome. This is exactly what I want to do. You know, I'm going to go sneak it around in the jungle, you know, not even thinking like, oh, Iraq, not a whole lot of jungles in Iraq. Um, <laughs> and so I uh, did the indoc and got selected. And um, yeah, it kind of started the, the, the whirlwind of events as far as deploying and things like that. So, so what was it like? Um, what was it like being a scout sniper? Is it like, first of all, is it like what the movies show it to be? Uh, no, not at all. Of course. <laughs> um, it is, it's, it's exciting because you're operating in a much smaller group. You know, we would go out as like a six man team, uh, the, the shooter, the spotter, and then the security team. Um, and that would be the cool aspect because instead of going out in like a convoy of vehicles or a giant platoon or, you know, something like that, you're operating in a small little group, um, out in the city of Iraq, um, or Afghanistan or, you know, wherever it's going to be. And you carry all your gear that you could possibly need for, usually it was a three day, but it always turned into six days. It just inevitable. They're like, oh, great. You guys are already out there. We're going to extend you guys out. We'll, uh, we'll throw a box of MREs and a case of water over the, you know, wall three houses down and just go down there at nighttime and grab it and, and go back to your, your little spot. <laughs> I'm like, okay, fantastic. Yeah, um, yeah appreciate that. Um, but the exciting aspect, and it's kind of a morbid exciting is I tell, you know, friends and family, I'm like, go down this, the next city street that you go down, look up into the skyline or the buildings and all those windows that could be, um, in kind of the wrong timing with all the, the shootings and everything else that are going on in this country. But there could be a sniper in any one of those windows and the psychological aspect of it yeah. and knowing that we had that psychological impact on the enemy, uh, just like they had on us because they had, you know, the Chestians and stuff like that operating throughout the city. Um, it's pretty wild. Um, but those, uh, all that gear in the backpack or in the rucksacks um, gets heavy, you know, like... Uh, three days of, you know, um, ammo, you know, um, uh, security supplies, you know, all that stuff, uh, you know, you had to carry it with you because we had to sustain uh, 20 minutes, they said, from the time we got into something to the time that we could have QRF to wherever we were was about 20 minutes because IDs and, you know, all that stuff. Oh, so yeah. we had to like pack it all in. And, you know, I was a, a light, you know, 170, whatever going over there in 2005 in Iraq and I probably weighed, Oh, I don't know, to at least 120, 130 extra pounds, um, on at least, uh, depending on how long the mission was going to be. And it was just, uh, brutal. So now, you know, of course retired and all that stuff and, um, you know, living the, living the good life. Right. Yeah. So, um, scout sniper, how long were you scout sniper for? Uh, from late 2004, all the way through late 2007 um, before I decided that I was going to go be a, um, I wanted to save my knees and my back. And I'm like, I've got a great idea. I'll go kneel on a helicopter that has zero give um, because that's going to be cool. And uh, so I became a um, helicopter crew chief slash door gunner. Um, and we, you know, that ended up leading into the deployment uh, for Afghanistan, but it was a, uh, you know, kind of like the Army Blackhawk, but it's just the old school um, Vietnam era Huey. But now it's got the big Cobra engines. It's four blade, not two. 
um, it outruns. I mean, it, it can stay pace with the Blackhawk. Um, so it's, you know, it's really fast helicopter. It's really upgraded. Um, the army's probably like, yeah, yeah, you know, like it's kind of like an old beat up Blackhawk, but you know, for us, it was like, oh, this is this, the greatest thing ever. Right. Um, but, but, you know, it was, a, it was much better to ride than to have to walk all over Afghanistan. That's for sure. Oh yeah. I can't imagine, uh, having a lift and a helicopter when you needed it. That's probably pretty convenient. You know, my son, <laughs> um, he's on active duty now and he works in special operations aviation. He works on the uh, C-130s that uh, do the radar jamming. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, his, uh, his career field, his job, he can actually work on helicopters. So he's really hoping on his next assignment that he gets a chance to work on. I think it's the MH-60s. Um, he's really yeah, excited. The, the, uh, the, the blacked out Blackhawks yeah, and all so that stuff. He's, he's pretty pumped about that. But just hearing about what all he has to do. And I thought he was going to be working <laughs> in aviation. And he was like, no, no, not in avionics. Like, I get dirty all the time. And I was like, well, I was kind of surprised. I figured you, you wire heads would have it easy. But he's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, especially not that everything in those helicopters are some form of, like, electronics. Because it's all, like, glass cockpits. It's, I mean, it's like a commercial jet. But it's all packed into this little weird boxes and things like that. And it's just, every time they turn them on, it's like, okay bring them out we need you know to jam something and they'll come up and punch in their little codes and you know fixes everything really quick and sometimes they're like yeah no this one's done we go take all your stuff on to the next one because this one's not going anywhere but it's uh yeah they stayed really busy really busy so how long were you uh, a crew chief before you retired um not long enough but i um from 2009 or 2008 to 2013 um, I was a crew chief, and then they uh, came back from Afghanistan uh, about a week before Thanksgiving in 2010, uh, which was nice to be home for the you know one of the holidays. But um, I was they were nice enough. The Marine Corps was to say, "Hey, you're good. You've been in long enough. You're going on a B billet. You're going to recruiting duty." I'm like, Ugh. you know, it, and I'm not, you know, a behind the desk kind of guy too much. But I um, was like, okay, you know go on recruiting, won't have to deploy, you know, get some home life with the, my wife and things like that. And, you know, it, it'll be a, it'll be a good change, but, um, that's also what kind of jump started the, the fast track to, um, uh, getting medically retired as well. Cause that's when the, the body slowed down. It's like, okay, you know, you played like you were 18 for all this time. And now, now you're going to take care of me because I'm no longer taking care of you. And so uh, there was a few surgeries and, you know, things like that. A uh, couple of discoveries that I didn't know, you know, existed, TBIs, concussions, things like that. And they're like, yeah, you know what? You've, you've had a lot of fun. You've had a great career, but it's, you know, it's time for you to go. And I'm like, okay. You know, and, and um, you know, at the time I was excited and then the door closed behind me um, that last day. And I'm like, uh, that panic set in a little bit. I was like, oh, no, now what am I going to do? Yeah. And, um, you know, and that kind of jump started a whole new degree of stuff, um, which was really exciting, you know, uh, did, um, worked for, um, the DEA, the drug enforcement, um, as an Intel analyst and a evidence tech for, uh, I guess three years, uh, before I jumped into the position that I'm currently at, which is the case manager position as, uh, at the veterans treatment court here in San Antonio. And, uh, 
yeah, it, it's been, now it's, you know, it's a lot of giving back. Yeah. Let's talk about that. The veterans treatment court. Uh, first of all, what is, what is the veterans treatment court? Sure. Uh, the veterans treatment court is basically, um, a sub specialty court within the normal criminal justice system that's designed specifically to help uh, veterans, active duty, reservists, National Guard, you know, what if you are in or have been honorably discharged out of any piece of the DOD, we'll say, uh, you're, you're potentially eligible for the Veterans Treatment Court. Um, we screen guys out depending on what their charge is. We only take, uh, take misdemeanors and then we have a felony side that takes care of the felony aspect. Uh, our job is basically we get these vets for, you know, DWIs, family violence, uh, something that relates to issues from, you know, deployments coming back, you know, drinking themselves uh, silly and all that kind of stuff. And we get them in this year-long program. Um, a, a major portion of it is treatment-based. Um, so we're going to get them enrolled in the VA on base at uh, – you know, out substance abuse counseling, we're going to really get them, uh, we're going to do everything in our power to get them to where there's not going to be a repeat offense later down the road. That's our goal. Um, once they successfully complete the program, they, um, their case is automatically dismissed and their attorney, uh, and them can apply to have it expunged off their record. As long as it's not like they're, you know, um, their DWI or they, you know, ran their car into a school or something like that because they were drunk at night or something like that. Um, then, you know, we, we can help them, but they're, we'll get their case dismissed, but it's not going to be expunged. It's still going to be there. Um, but that, that, that's basically what we do is we, um, you know, have them in this year long program, track them, um, through the entire year, uh, make sure they're, you know, complying and they're, you know, they've got certain requirements they have to do while they're in the program. Um, alcohol monitoring, breathalyzers, uh, you know, uh, treatment, um, constantly treatment, and we get updates, probation. Um, so it, it's pretty intense year for them, but the reward at the other side is if they can stick with it, it's huge. You know, is it, uh, is it primarily ran by veterans? Is there a lot of veterans like yourself that are involved in the program on, on the other side of it? So that the connection there is veteran to veteran kind of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the judge who is about to retire, but he is a uh, 30-year JAG uh, Army colonel, uh, and he retired. He's about to retire. I think he's got 40 years as a judge or something like judge and lawyer, and I'm like, wow, yeah, it's time for you to go, sir. Yeah. You know, you've, you, you've had a great run. Yeah. Um, the uh, We only allow a total of 100 people in at a time because we want to keep the numbers down so we don't lose someone, you know, in the someone doesn't slip through the, um, sure. through the cracks. Um, so we allow a hundred at a time. Sometimes we'll, we'll flex and get like 110, but you know, that's uh, case by case. Um, the program director, uh, who I report to is a retired air force person. Um, our, I'm the case manager, uh, retired Marine. And then we have one court manager and he's the only one who was not in the military, but he's been on the probation side for 30 plus years. So he's really versed and he's our go-to guy as well yeah like on that side because we've got to balance both um with the va uh, the the two people that we have that work directly for our program but they're employed by the va 
um, are both retired military as well. Um, and our probation officers that we assign to them while they're in the program are also retired military. So they, they get in like, um, I don't want to like crushed or overwhelmed by it, but they're constantly um, around vets. They're around, you know, fellow people who understand, yeah. um, you know, we tell, it is, it is. And we, and we tell them, look, we're here, we get it, but we're also military. So understand that this is not, this is like that second chance, you know, thing for you. This is that not get out of jail free card because you clearly not just here to hang out, but we'll do what we can, but we can't care more than you care for your own self. Yeah. Um, and, and we, um, but it's been, you know, great. We've graduated since the, the program's inception here, which is 12 years. It's a 12 year old program, graduated 750 vets and active duty service members, uh, that are now getting that fresh start They're, um, you know, the cases are dismissed. They don't have to, you know, look over their shoulder, you know, getting pulled over like, Oh, you've had a previous DWI. So now the cops are going to dig deeper, you know, and that kind of stuff. So it, it's a really, it's a huge deal. Um, but some really struggle with that. Uh, oh, it's a year of my life. It's a year. But, but we try and tell them like, yeah, it's a year. You did more in the military, but yeah. to be, away from this charge for the rest of your life like you can't put a price tag on that no uh, well i mean that's so, pretty good statistics 12 years 750 people uh -huh. that's an average of 62 a year i mean that's 62 people you've given a second chance at life and, and sent back out into society to say hey go be successful and i think it's even better that it's veterans running a program because there's a different level of accountability and connection and understanding there so I could see the success rate is a little higher than maybe a, a average program just because you have that connection that you can't, you can look them in the face and say, I know I've yeah, exactly. I serve to like, I know, but at the same time we're, we're to a higher standard. So I'm going to hold you accountable. And I think yes. that's, that's probably a huge part of success. And I think so too. I think it's based on their, um, yeah. I mean, they have to know like the, the, I don't want to say the game is up, but they're the games. They're, it's done. You know, it's kind of like it's time to be super serious. And you know, in in a lot of them, uh, the best part too is to see how they come in. They're like on the ragged edge. They're, you know, they're they're not in treatment. They're not on you know medication if they need that. They're not in you know um, marriage counseling. They're not in. They're completely unraveling. And then to see them on graduation day with their families and. You know, they do it like a graduation speech. We, you know, give them a few, you know, five minutes or something to talk to um, the guys, men and women behind them getting ready to graduate. Like, hey, it's going to be tough. Get it out. And, and see the success story of how they were to how they are. It, it's, it's been so rewarding that it's, um, you know, it, I've always wanted to be the door kicker because it's just in my nature. You know, oh, I want to be the first one in the door, you know, Rambo kind of thing. But, you know, doing this more and more and, my body's saying enough is enough more and more. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's really, it's really been rewarding to see the, um, the success. So it's, it's just, um, yeah, it, it's really remarkable. And I wish there was more, um, programs out there. I know we have 14 in Texas and I know there's a few in different States, but it's not as, um, prominent as I think it should be because I think, 
you know, just like there's a court for mental health, um, for drugs, for uh, things like that, I think there's a, a desperate need for, um, you know, even though Afghanistan, Iraq, you know, all that stuff is, is winding down or, you know, behind us. But it's not going to be the first war. It won't be the last one, unfortunately. No. So it, it's just going to be a matter of time. And if it, if it doesn't stop, if we don't get ahead of it now, or well, I guess we should have got ahead of it back in Vietnam, World War II and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. But if we don't get a hold of it now, um, it, it's just going to get worse and worse. So um, I think there's definitely, you know, I wish more states would ad, uh, adopt the program and, and start running it. But, you know, then it becomes, unfortunately, funding. So, you know, we're, we're grant funded, and, but it, it's still, it's about money. And it's just like, that's, yeah, that's a shame. Is there it one is. in Oklahoma? Um, I'm not 100% sure. Um, I'm not a, uh, uh, exactly sure where all they are, but I know if anyone Googles veterans treatment court, um, you know, it will pull up. There's plenty of VA, you know, veteran affairs, you know, hospitals, things like that all over the place. But I think it becomes down to the judges have to, um, buy off on it to have that specialty court within their normal, um, their normal court system. Okay. So they have their 1500 normal cases and now it's like, Hey, yeah, but here comes these, you know, an extra hundred. Um, and it's, uh, our judge even, you know, even though he's, um, you know, military was like, ah, oh, you know, it, it's because certain specialty courts are just kind of a trade and street. And some people view it as like, Oh, just because this person is, you know, mentally ill, they're getting a free pass. And it's like, no, that's not exactly the, the case. And, you know, we're, Oh, they're veterans. They deployed, you know, that's great. But, you know, they, you know, why do they get a different break? And it's like, well, it, it's just, it's different, you know, it's, it's same with law enforcement. Circumstances, you know, was, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like what you're about to say, same thing with law enforcement. You're in a very different situation where the traumatizing effects of what you had to do or had to see or had to be around cannot be duplicated or replicated in any other profession you just can't. no so mm -mm. are they getting treated special i would hate to say it like that i would say there's special circumstances that require special level of understanding in order for them to get the same rehabilitation opportunities as the as another citizen without while still focusing on the other issues that are at play because yeah that's just the bottom line like well and we do the same thing for sexual assault victims you know they get they get special treatment too because of the nature of the circumstance and rightfully so because it's very traumatizing absolutely you have to address both issues you know what went yeah. wrong and what what happened so that you can you know that two-headed you know front and say let's let's fix everything that's going on and then put you back out there to be hot you know successful because you fix one issue and you ignore the other that that <laughs> come back around and potentially cause problems. I'm just going to see your face again, and that's not. What oh, 100 percent. You know? So and that that revolving door continues, yeah, and that's it, not it's, what we want at all for you know, no, and not at all or someone who's been through a traumatic experience. You know, once we've taken care of you, we don't you know. I never want to see you again, and, I, and that's for <laughs> a good reason. You know, because yeah. <laughs> you're never in trouble. You never need anything, and you're you're out there in the world flourishing and being successful, and in everything is going well for you. And I can see where, uh, I can see where people can kind of question that, but at the same time, they just don't understand the, the circumstances around it. And 
I think it's a really cool program. I'm going to check in and see if Oklahoma has something like that and see if uh, what else is going on with the program here because I think it's a really cool program. Working on a podcast often means late nights editing, preparing for guests, and constant marketing. I need something reliable, great tasting, and of course, veteran owned to keep me fueled and at my best. And red, white, and badass brew coffee keeps me rolling. It doesn't matter if it's a long night of writing, preparing for the next podcast episode, or just that first hot cup in the morning. These guys have my back. Check them out today at redwhiteandbadassbrew.com and find out why their brews are as bold as the American spirit. Yeah, and, and I think it, it's so beneficial. And, and weirdly enough, um, or I guess not weird, um, in, a, in an alarming way, I was in for just just under 18 years. And until I saw the job posting on the job board and applied for it, got, you know, interview, all that stuff, I had no idea the program existed. Yeah. Um, and and I think there's such a um, a value because there, there's, you know, young guys coming back off their first, second deployment. You know, they're only 22, 23 years old, uh, still on active duty. They, you know, came back. They, you know, couldn't sleep or they're hanging out at the bar with some friends, start telling war stories, yada, yada, yada. Next thing they know, they're, you know, getting pulled over. Um, no one's heard or anything, but now they've got a DWI. And before, uh, you know, your career was not necessarily done, but you were, you, you were done. I, I mean, you just, there was no, okay, you got a DWI, you're busted down in rank, you're out you go and best of luck. And, and now this program I've seen, you know, active duty people even uh, complete this program, full support of their, their units. And they've been able to um, save their rank, save their careers, continue on uh, through the military and, you know, continue to live their life. And before it's, I mean, I knew countless people in 29 Palms that had DWIs and things like that. But um, because they, it's just when you're out in the desert, not a whole lot else to do, but there just a lot of issues. And, you know, they could have, I mean, who knows what could have happened with them? You know, we could have maybe got them involved in, in this way back then. And, you know, some may, uh, you know, still be alive. Maybe some may, I mean, would have got the help they need. I mean, there's just so many factors, um, that could have come into play. So, you know, I try and do my best to, you know, go to these bases and, and talk to, you know, old unit commanders that I know and be like, Hey, you know, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but, you know, check this out. And some are like, Whoa, you know, and, and a lot of people have been referred, some, you know, not. And, you know, of course, it's up to the individual. You know, we, I screen them out, say, hey, this is what it's going to be. This is what your year, next year of your life is going to look like. And and some of them aren't, you know, they've hit the rock bottom, but they're not ready to um, uh, get the help or admit that, you know, something's going wrong. And, you know, we can't put a gun to their head and say, you're joining this program, whether you like it or not. But right. it's... Uh, you know, uh, and some get in the program and they, you know, they just choose like, you know what, this isn't worth it. And a year is too long without drinking. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, they become a statistic. Um, but it, it's, you know, we can only do so, you know, what we can do. But I think it's a it's an invaluable program if there's, uh, you know, with all these states, you know, um, there's countless places and opportunities for this program to exist. And I think it would be uh, 
um, a miscarriage of justice to not implement it uh, in certain states that don't have it right now. I think it would be, uh, they're losing a huge opportunity, I think, to take care of um, the huge recip- uh, recidivism. I think that's how you say it, rate, you know, the in and out of jail, mm-hmm. back and forth thing. And it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's just, it's sad to see. So let's, uh, let's change it up and let's talk about your book, Terror to Triumph. Um, I love the uh, kind of the catch line that you have on there. Sometimes the toughest battles you have to fight are at home with yourself. Um, what an awesome book. I'm going to show the cover right here for the audience to see once the, this is up on YouTube. Terror to Triumph, right? There's the book cover, Chris Whittemore. Um, Chris, let's talk about um, the book. First of all, when did you decide to write a book? When did? When was that day that it hit you and said, I'm doing it? Um, about four weeks um, into starting this job as a veteran uh, treatment court case manager, because uh, right when I started this job um, was about three weeks to the date, actually, before the initial COVID shutdown that uh, put everyone basically in, not in isolation, but in, you know, everyone working from home, the whole pandemic aspect. Um, and I was sitting at home learning the job and, uh, you know, talking with my wife about, you know, all the, the deployment stuff, the memories and things like that. And um, it, it weirdly, it started some of the memories and the details started to um, fade a little bit. So I was losing that, that story um, aspect to where I could really put in detail and express what all took place over there. So my wife's like, well, you know what, you, you've got all this time, you know, you're working from home. Now the, the commute is about 50 feet from the bedroom to the kitchen, you know, kitchen table. There's no excuses. Um, so I actually started writing it down, um, in a story format and I finished it and I was like, wow, you know, and it was really kind of therapeutic for my, for me as well to get all this stuff out and, you know, on, um, paper, I guess, if you will, but I mean, of course it was typed up, but, uh, you know, uh, on paper and my wife's like, so what are you going to do with it now? And I was like, well, it's, you know, it's there. So if I ever want to go back and check out the stories or, you know, talk about it or whatever, it's right here. And she's like, she's like, I think you can really help other people with, you know, the, the good, the bad, the ugly, the things that you went through you know, mistakes you made, good things that you did, you know, th- there's a, there's a need uh, for those kind of books out there. And I'm like, well, you know what? So, and I did the whole, well, you know, someone else will write that book. Someone else will do it. Um, and she's like, it's like, I really think we should submit it to a self um, self publishing um, company and see if they'll pick it up and all that stuff. And I'm like, all right, you know what? sure, whatever. This is not, never going to be published. So this is just going to be one of those things. Send it in about three weeks later, you know, hear it. They, they call me up and they're like, Hey, um, the panel reviewed your book. We absolutely, you know, love it. We want to publish it. I'm like, what? And you know, uh, the whirlwind began, you know, I wanted to, um, really put in detail. Cause there's a lot of books out there. Um, you know, that talk about uh, deployment stuff. There's, um, you know, uh, the Lone Survivor, the Chris Kyle books, the, um, you know, all the movies, the 
um, just countless, you know, full metal jacket all the way to, you know, um, whatever, uh, uh, maybe, you know, just whatever is out yeah. there. And I said, you know, what's not out there though. And this is really what kind of made me push even harder for the book is there's not a lot of stuff out there that talk about what happens not on deployment because there's, you know, tons of stuff out there like that, but what happens to the individual male or female families, friends, whatever, when they come back uh, from the deployments, they've seen what they've seen They're, you know, they're isolating away. They're drinking themselves to sleep every night. They're, you know, committing suicide at the rapid rate. They're, um, you know, all these domestic violence issues, they're ending up in prison. Um, there's all these things, but no one, really has written about why. And I said, you know what, let me use my experiences, you know, um, coming back from, you know, uh, initial fights in uh, Ramadi, Iraq before, you know, pre-elections in all these cities. And, you know, I wasn't sleeping. If I wasn't like intoxicated, there's no way I was gonna sleep for more than an hour or two. Couldn't drive down the road. If I saw something on the side of the road, you know, just reaction. Um, and, you know, so then, of course, you get embarrassed. You're like, I'm going to isolate. I'm not going to do anything. Well, now you're affecting your your family as well because you're isolating away. So it, it's just such a sad revolving door. And, uh, you know, so I, I published the book. Um, and, you know, then the, the, I don't know what the word, the wild thing is. My stories now became the world's. So everyone can read this book. Um, and I've had, you know, wild reviews, um, you know, for, uh, so far it's, I think 4.9, um, stars on Amazon, on, uh, Kindle, um, audiobook, you know, for all the people who don't like to read, which I never thought I would do an audiobook just cause it's like, you know, it, it's a book, read a book, but, um, <laughs> you know, uh, a lot of people love the, um, love the audiobook as well. I've had some great reviews. Um, and I've, the, the best part of it, though, has been uh, the families and things like that or vets that I hadn't talked to since they got out of the military back in 2007, you know, picked up the book, read it, and they're like, wait a second, I know this guy. And then we start connecting and, uh, you know, um, helping each other out, you know, doing the uh, talking, you know, over the phone if we need to or face, you know, whatever the case is. And, um, you know, they've isolated away from their their kids and family and their kids are alienated from them for the last 15 years because they don't get it. Um, and they've read the book and be like, now, after all this time, it makes sense. And um, by no means do I think it's the, the answer to everything. But, you know, from Vietnam, they some of those guys waited 40 plus years to get help. And I'm hoping that my book showing that, hey, if I can do it, you can do it kind of mindset and don't wait 40 years don't wait 10 years don't wait any years i mean if you know something is wrong which coming back from a deployment and drinking for five months just to sleep for an hour that's not normal like it's not and it's and i tell people all the time it's okay to not be okay like you said i mean if if you saw some of the things you did um, over there, uh, like the 9-11 firefighters, you know, everyone who worked there, Oklahoma City bombing, all those people who worked there, 
I was like, they weren't okay. I mean, how could you be okay seeing that kind of stuff? Yeah. And um, I, I made, um, I was talking in front of a bunch of judges and uh, commissioners court about the book as well. And I said, if you are okay with seeing all that, and it's like, eh, no big deal. No, who cares? Then go down to the local prison and turn yourself in immediately because you are a psychopath. Mm-hmm. And it's, and you know, you say that and they're like, but then the wheels start turning. You're like, wow, you know what? He's actually got a good point. And it's, um, and I tell people too, like I, yeah, I deployed just like a lot of other people deployed, you know, my stories are probably really similar to their stories or, you know, they went through a lot worse than I did. Um, you know, all that stuff. But I really think the book is invaluable for families, for military active duty or guys who have gotten out that are, you know, stuck on that. Um, oh, you know, I can't say anything or I'm weak, that kind of thing. Or, you know, uh, everyone's going to look at me like differently. Um, you know, if I, if I ask for help and it's like, yeah, they're probably going to be proud of you and you're going to, your life is going to be a thousand times better. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, swallow the pride, be, you be the big V word vulnerable and get out there and, you know, take that first step. And once you get through that door, you know, life is so much better on the other side. And, and that's kind of, um, you know, how the book came to be. And it's, uh, um, you know, so far it's doing really well. You know, a lot of it's word of mouth. Um, I've, uh, created a website, um, with the help of, uh, you know, a, a great guy over at Semperfy Design, and he, uh, we've created like an actual book website. Um, but it's, um, you know, it, it's just everything I can do. And then I get lucky and get on podcasts like this with you and, um, you know, some of these others. And um, it, it's just been, uh, it's been great, a lot of great reviews. And hopefully, um, you know, more and more people will start picking that book up and, you know, really, you know, in for every one book, you know, who knows? I mean, one book may not be the answer, but that one guy who reads it, it passes it on to the next guy, you know, it might save that guy's life. Yeah. You know, he might be like, you, and, and I don't think there's any, there's no figure data sales report that can, um, uh, you know, uh, show the, the greatness of, you know, if one thing saves one person's life, then who cares what the sales reports say? Like it doesn't make any difference. Like that's kind of been my motivation for the book and, you know, getting it out there and, and, you know, talking like, you know, on podcasts like this. So. Yeah. It's been my, it was my motivation too, was when I wrote my book, I said, this is not going to be a New York times bestseller. Number one, because I don't have the reach. Number two, it's probably not on that level, but um, you know, the Amazon reviews, the sales reports, the numbers and all that don't tell the story and don't, don't fulfill me in a way that the feedback has fulfilled me. You know, the, the people who have reached out and been like, wow, man, this, you, you are on it. You're absolutely on it. You, you spoke to me about leadership. Like I hit my soul. I was like, man, that's, that's exactly what I wanted to do. And, um, you know, I had a guy reach out to me. He's currently on active duty, but he read the book and he was like, man, from the first page, I was just motivated. He's like, dude, I want to come on your podcast as like a guest host and ask you questions. And I was like, I'm game. I mean, let's. <laughs> that's awesome. I mean, I mean, I think that's cool that um, it's motivated somebody in such a way that they were like, 
I need to know more, which is the whole point of writing it. It wasn't to make a buku amount of money. And uh, yeah, it sounds yeah. like you're the exact same way. You know, if I can get a story <laughs> on the platform to help others out, then I'm game to do that. Absolutely. And, and yeah, and I agree with you, you know, 100%. I uh, Maybe deep down when initially I was like, oh, you know, maybe this will hit the, the best, you know, the, up there with Stephen King. And it's, it, you know, have not the reach and, you know, all that stuff whatsoever. But I, I think you know, the more and more people that can, um, like yourself, you know, if you, you know, reach, reach 10 and those 10 tell 10 and, you know, whether you sell, you know, 50, a hundred, 300, a thousand, you know, whatever, uh, I, I think is, um, you know, would be phenomenal, obviously, but it, it's not, um, the motivation just like yourself, um, is definitely to help others through the, you know, the success and, and non-success, um of you know what you went through to prevent you know the next generation or um you know whoever or the next uh group of leaders and you know all that stuff like do not make these same mistakes because this is the end result and um you know what what's that say um if you don't learn from the past you're doomed to repeat it mm -hmm. and and i think that's what like your book and my book and you know other books that are similar to that are you know hey open your eyes and see what this is um you know in in the aspect i think that drives me nuts is this isn't the first war iraq afghanistan i mean there's so many before mm -hmm. um sadly there's going to be more after but all these stuff that society has gone through from the world war ii vets vietnam all the way up to us our our, our generation is uh is like we're still making the same mistakes in leadership and in, you know, all that. And I'm just like, well, how can we possibly be making these same mistakes uh, after all this time? You know, what is, you know, what needs to change? And, and hopefully, you know, more people like us will, will share their stories and get that word out there in the generation that's coming up that are the new, the new leaders, the new generals, the new, you know, uh, CEOs, the new whatever will be like, wow, you know what, that something will click and, you know, they'll be the ones who are willing to stand in the spotlight because a lot of people just don't want to, they don't want to put themselves out there like you do on the, this podcast or, um, you know, the authors who are writing these books, they don't want to put themselves in that spotlight and they know what needs to be changed. But they're like, oh, someone else, you know, like how I was before writing the book. Ah, oh, someone else will write the book. Someone else will do the podcast. Someone else will, you know, make the change, and then I'll be like, woohoo, you know, finally. Yeah. But it's you know, you know, be that person to make the change, and and I think, um, you know, you'll yeah, you'll probably be, um, uh, chastised a little bit, you know, as you're trying to make this big change. But the generations among generations you're going to affect by doing that is. You can't put a price tag on that. So this was Chris Whittemore, author of Terror to Triumph. I'm going to throw the book up there again for everybody to see. Awesome book cover. Uh, sometimes the toughest battles you have to fight are at home with yourself. Chris, uh, this was an absolute pleasure. The last question I have for you is, is what's next and where can people find out more about you and the book? Uh, for sure. Um, the next is the sky's the limit. Um, I'm actually in talks with uh, Grunt Style, uh, 
Amazon.com. Uh, they're actually going to be putting the book in their stores uh, nice. nationwide. And I'm just like, when I heard that, Amazing. I, I kind of like I, my mind was blown. Yeah, it really nice. was. I was like, oh, I was like, oh my gosh. Um, but uh, for um, for book, uh, mainly everything because Amazon's the mecca of everything. Um, everything is uh, Amazon.com, um, or you can go to Kindle, uh, audiobook or Audible. I guess is the main audiobook platform. Um, it's on Audible, um, and the book website is uh, HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash terror to triumph book.com and it will go to the website um and you know all i ask is if you do um audiobook amazon order the book whatever the case is uh please you know read it um and then go i appreciate the stars uh but please throw down you know good book bad book whatever the case might be um, I'm open to good, bad criticism. I mean, it, it only helps me um, along the way. And I, you know, I'm, I've been fighting it for a while, but I think, uh, you know, there may be a, uh, a, another book uh, in the works coming out regarding the, uh, you know, the treatment court, what I've seen, vets in the criminal justice system, things like that, firsthand experiences, um, you know, and, uh, you know, hopefully get some people to, collaborate and let me use their stories and, you know, really, you know, drive that home as well. Um, so I think, you know, the sky's the limit, but please, um, I've got social media as well, uh, Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, all that stuff. Uh, you know, please reach out. You want to start a conversation, uh, shoot me a message. Um, I'm always up for that. Uh, you want to talk about, you know, vet stuff that you maybe, you know, um, don't want to ask about, but you just want to talk about, I'm always here as well. Chris, it was a pleasure, man. Um, I'm looking forward to getting my hands on a copy of the book and uh, reading it myself. I think what you're doing as a case manager is absolutely awesome. And I tip my hat to you, uh, veteran to veteran, man. You're you're making me proud. So thank you so much. <laughs> thank I, you. Congrats on the success. Um, I think having your book in a grunt style store is just amazing. So, uh, you know, just kudos. I think that's just awesome. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah, I can't believe it's happening. But, uh, you know, I, I just um, hopefully, you know, it'll be because now they're opening up these stores on uh, on bases in the exchanges, especially these like super exchanges mm. um, have grunt style stores within the exchange. So that's going to open up uh, a whole nother level of things, you know, so I, th I think just the skies, you know, the sky's the limit. And I think, uh, you know, in anyone's, um, you know, walk the podcast, the books, whatever um, I tell people, whatever you want to do, um, you know, don't let the gatekeepers tell you no, you know, push them out of the way, kick in the door, uh, just like you did in the military. And, you know, the only thing stopping you is you. 